0: And so we might say, you know what, I've never committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, not as it's explained here, so uh, this is irrelevant. But it's not, because the various truths found in these verses about the importance of our words are not only for us, but they are extremely relevant to us. Notice verse 36. Jesus said, but I tell you that every careless word that people speak they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. Notice, Jesus is broadening it. He's talking about people in general. He's talking about all of us who say careless words. He's not directing this only to the Pharisees. It is to them, but it's beyond them. And so if you are a person, and you are, and you speak careless words, and you do, just like I do, then this becomes a very pertinent teaching for all of us. As the Lord explains the importance of our words. And the way he does this, as we said last week, how this unfolds is that Jesus gives two specific reasons for our words being so important. The first reason...
1: words that sounds like it should be the title of a song in case you're wondering i don't think it is i checked i couldn't find any songs with that title so any of you budding musicians out there careless words could be the title of your hit song while that might not be the title of a song that is a concept we are learning in this verse-by-verse series titled words have meaning In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus applied that concept to the Pharisees who accused Jesus of being satanic. However, Jesus also applied that concept to the crowd that was listening to His teaching, and of course it applies to us today. Jesus has used the analogy of identifying a tree by its fruit, and identifying a Christ follower by the words that come out of their mouth. We are reminded of the verse, As a man speaks in his heart, so is he. Let's jump into today's verse-by-verse broadcast to see where we are going next in this wonderfully convicting series. Words Have Meaning is the title, and our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff.
0: In his book, Disciplines of a Godly Man, author and pastor Kent Hughes illustrates the power that our words can have in impacting the lives of others by telling us, tells us a story about four Denver newspaper reporters in 1899 who, because they had really no interesting story for their newspaper's Sunday edition, they decided, these four reporters, to make one up. Well, as they met together in a Denver saloon, they discussed what they might write about and they decided that their best option was to write about a foreign place because a a local story would just be too obvious. And so they invented a story about some American engineers who were on their way to China to put in a bid to demolish the Great Wall because, they said, the Chinese government was planning to tear down the wall as a sign of international goodwill in an attempt to promote foreign trade. And so that Sunday, the headline of the newspapers in Denver read, Great Chinese Wall Doomed, Peking Seeks World Trade. Now even though this story was the product of the creative imaginations of four very irresponsible reporters, the rest of the world actually believed the story. And before long, an international crisis developed. Here's how... Kent Hughes explains the damage done by these reporters' words. He writes, "...when the citizens of China heard that the Americans were sending a demolition crew to dismantle the Great Wall, most were indignant, even enraged. Particularly angry were members of a secret society made up of Chinese patriots already against any kind of foreign intervention." Moved to action by the news story, they attacked the foreign embassies in Peking and murdered hundreds of missionaries from abroad. In the next two months, 12,000 troops from six countries working together invaded China to protect their countrymen. The bloodshed at that time, born out of a journalistic hoax, fabricated in a saloon in Denver, was the time of violence known ever since as the Boxer Rebellion. There is no question that our words have the power to impact the lives of others, either for good or for bad. But many of us, while we know that, we're not so aware of the fact that the words that we speak can have a serious impact and affect our own lives. But we should be aware of this. This shouldn't be a surprise to us because Jesus spoke so plainly about it and he spoke about this in Matthew chapter 12. So let me have you turn there. Matthew chapter 12 and I want to read to you the entire passage and we will finish this Lord willing this morning. Matthew chapter 12 starting in verse 33. We began to study this last week. We will finish it today. Jesus said either make the tree good and it's fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man speaks out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for, in the day of judgment for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Now, as you will recall from our previous studies, these verses were specifically directed at the Pharisees, the wicked Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel who were so very hostile towards Jesus. Their opposition had intensified to a point where they actually accused Christ of being satanic. That's in the passage just prior to this. And remember how this came about. Jesus had cast a demon out of a, out of a man, and the crowd of people said, and they genuinely meant this, could, could this be the, the son of David? Could this really be the Messiah? Now, Jesus didn't fit their image of what they thought the Messiah should be like, but there was no denying the fact that He did the types of miracles that they expected the Messiah to do. And so they said this out loud wondering, who is this man? Could he really be the Messiah? When the Pharisees heard this, and this probably took place somewhere in Galilee, perhaps Capernaum, the Pharisees jumped at this, panicked, and said, no, no, you don't understand. Yes, he does miracles, and we can't deny those miracles, but he's doing these miracles not in the power of God. He's doing these miracles in the power of Satan. So they were essentially saying that Jesus was an agent, an ambassador of Satan. They called him Beelzebub. Beelzebub. Lord, Lord of the Dung Heap. That's a derogatory name for, for Satan. Now, immediately following this very wicked accusation, the Lord Jesus defends himself by telling the Pharisees how ridiculous those charges are. He goes through an, a series of answers to their, to their false charges. He tells them it's illogical. Satan doesn't cast out uh, Satan. No kingdom divided against itself can stand. He tells them they're totally inconsistent with their belief because even some of their sons, meaning their, their followers, have this ministry of exorcism, and, and they don't say that they are demonic. Why do they say Christ is? Because they were very prejudiced towards him, that's why. He told them that they ignored the evidence that he was the true and powerful king because he's the one who can bind Satan. He's obviously stronger than Satan. And then finally he told them that their accusation was impossible He says in verses 31 and 32, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now he tells them that this is a very serious charge that they 're giving him, and by the way, the reason the Lord is defending himself is is not for himself, not for his sake, but for the sake of the crowd of people who were undecided about who Christ really was. The Lord really didn 't defend himself, but he did speak to to help them make the right decision so he tells the Pharisees that what you've done your sin which is called blaspheming the Holy Spirit is it will never be forgiven it is unpardonable and the reason it's unpardonable is because this sin reveals a heart that is so hardened to the truth that it has made note this a conclusive and irreversible decision to never believe upon Jesus See, the reason this sin is referred to as blasphemy against the Spirit rather than blasphemy against the Son, uh, Son of God, is because the only way someone can develop such a hardened heart to Christ so as to conclude that he's satanic is by constantly rejecting the witness that the Holy Spirit provides about Christ. That's precisely what the Pharisees did. Every time Jesus performed a miracle, and the Pharisees saw many of them, But every time he performed a miracle, the Holy Spirit was testifying as to Christ's authenticity as the Messiah. But the Pharisees continuously spurned the Spirit's witness so many times that eventually their hearts became so calloused to the truth that they made a final and a permanent choice to reject Christ. And that's why... Those who come to this point in their lives can never and will never receive divine forgiveness. Why? Because they have rejected the only means by which the Lord can bring and does bring a person of faith in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, who not only convicts us of our sinfulness, but also convinces us of the righteousness about Christ and His salvation. To reject His witness means that you have cut off The very way and means by which God brings you to salvation. Now, it's important to understand that it was those slanderous, blasphemous words against Christ and the Spirit that prompted Jesus to say what he said about the importance of the words that that we speak. They had just spoken the most wicked, irresponsible, untrue words. That someone can say to Christ. And the Pharisees had so outrageously spoken against Jesus that Jesus is taking the opportunity to explain why they said what they said because they were evil. But he's also telling them why the words that they uttered were so important. So important, not trivial, but very important. Now, we should all understand as we approach this passage that these verses are not limited to the Pharisees and to their unique words of blasphemy. Otherwise, we might conclude that these words are irrelevant for us because I doubt if anybody here has ever said anything about Jesus like these Pharisees said. And so we might say, you know what? I've never committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, not as it's explained here. So uh, this is irrelevant, but it's not because the various truths found in these verses about the importance of our words are not only for us, but they are extremely relevant to us. Notice verse 36. Jesus said, but I tell you that every careless word that people speak they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. Notice, Jesus is broadening it. He's talking about people in general. He's talking about all of us who say careless words. He's not directing this only to the Pharisees. It is to them, but it's beyond them. And so if you are a person, and you are, and you speak careless words, and you do, just like I do, then this becomes a very pertinent teaching for all of us as the Lord explains the importance of our words. And the way he does this, as we said last week, how this unfolds is that Jesus gives two specific reasons for our words being so important. The first reason that we studied and discovered last week was that our words reveal our true character. They reveal our nature. Notice once again, verses 33 through 35. Either make, he said, the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit you brood of vipers, he means you poisonous, venomous, deceitful little snakes. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Now, the Lord here, as we said, is using the analogy of a tree and fruit. He explains that just as the fruit that a tree produces indicates the kind of tree that it is, whether it's a good tree, a healthy tree, or a decaying, rotten, bad tree. So the words that we speak indicate whether we are truly saved people who have been redeemed, transformed, regenerated, or else we're unsaved people, or unconverted people, unredeemed, unsaved, unregenerate. Why, Jesus said, why do our words indicate this? Because he said, The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The mouth overflows, spills over what's in our hearts. And by heart, he's talking about, as we said um, last week, it's, it's our mind, the core of our being, our very character. This is why the Pharisees spoke such evil about Jesus, because they were evil. These were religious but unsaved men, and they were like bad trees producing bad fruit. In fact, Jesus said, how could you say anything otherwise? I expect you to say that. The fruit of their lips was the reflection of what was really in their hearts. Just the reflection. And the words that you and I speak reveal our true inward character. They reveal the real you. They reveal what's on the inside, meaning that if you have experienced regeneration, and that is the implanting at salvation of of a new nature, the divine nature, if that's taken place, then your speech will reflect this new And divine nature. But if you have never experienced this, if you have never experienced that inward transformation of character, then your speech will reveal that too. And that's precisely why Jesus went on in verse 35 to say this. The good man, meaning the regenerated man, not not a perfect man, not denying the sinfulness of man, but the regenerated man brings out of his good treasure meaning is good regenerated treasure, what is good? And the evil man, the unregenerate man, brings out of his evil unregenerate treasure what is evil? The Lord is simply stating that if your heart has been changed by him, then your life's going to reveal that change by the words you speak because the words you speak come out of your heart. They're simply the overflow of what's already there. Your words give an accurate reading of your heart and they will always reveal what your heart is like. Now, this is not only taught by Jesus. James, in his little book, at the end of the New Testament, says precisely the same truth. I'd like you to turn there, keeping your place in Matthew, but James, James chapter 1. Most of us are familiar with the fact that James in chapter 3 gives much attention to the to the tongue and the powerful force that it is. It can be, he says, destructive, very destructive. But not many people are as familiar with James chapter 1, verse 26, in which he says this, If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Now, James is teaching that regardless of the religious activities that you may be involved in, regardless of how much service you might have in your church, If your tongue is consistently out of control, so that your speech is consistently, and I emphasize the word, consistently corrupt, then you have deceived yourself. You think that you're a believer, but you're not. That's what James is saying. You think you're right with God, but you're not right with Him. Now understand, and this is very important, understand this does not mean that a believer always controls his tongue, so that there's never an inappropriate word that we speak. That would mean, if that was the case, that we were perfect people, and we're not. In fact, look at James chapter 3, verse 2. For we all stumble, he says, in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Even James recognizes, even with, with the high standards that he speaks of, James recognizes that if someone says, well, I never sinned by... By what I have to say, then that person is perfect. And he says that's not true. So we're not talking about perfection here. Understand that we all slip. We all say things that we wish we hadn't said. That's reality. But it does mean that those slips of the tongue for a believer would be the exception rather than the general rule of life. Important that you understand that it's the exception. It's not what characterizes you. If that's what characterizes you, then you need to examine your heart to see if you're truly a safe person. In fact, look at James once again. James has a lot to say on the tongue, doesn't he? James chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. James says, Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? When well, you know the answer. Of course not. Can a fig tree, my brethren... Produce olives or a vine produce figs? Once again, of course not. Nor can salt water produce fresh. We we would agree to that. What James is telling us is that just as springs of water and fruit trees don't contradict themselves by producing what is contrary to their very nature, so true believers won't habitually contradict themselves either by producing words that are inconsistent with our true nature. Whatever That's exactly what Jesus is saying in Matthew 12. Whatever your nature is, you will reflect that in the words that you say. Here's how one Bible teacher explained James 1.26. He said, James does not mean that those who sometimes fall into this sin have a worthless religion. For all are guilty at times. Rather, he is saying that if anyone's tongue is habitually unbridled... Though his church attendance be impeccable, his Bible knowledge envied, his prayers many, his tithes exemplary. And though he considers himself religious, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. That's what he's talking about. That's your normal way of life. That it never dawns on you to speak differently than this. And you have to consider whether you've really had a change of heart. Because true believers do speak differently than the unsaved. Now this is where we left off last week. And you might have noticed, not that I'm saying anyone looks at their clocks here, but you might have noticed that we ended a little bit early last week. I heard that from several people, and I know that. I actually have a clock right in front of me, though you may not realize that. You may think I have a calendar here. I do have a clock, and I'm conscious of the time. And we ended a little bit earlier last week, but that was intentional because I didn't want to rush through this extremely important truth without doing it justice. Let me explain. If the words that we have to say really reveal our character as to whether or not we're saved or lost, then it is absolutely essential that we understand what the Bible has to say about how, as regenerate people, we're supposed to talk. And we really didn't cover that last week. In other words, what kind of speech does Scripture tell us God wants us, and more than wants us, commands us to demonstrate as believers in Christ? What kinds of words are supposed to flow out of the overspill of our regenerate hearts? So, if you've been converted, then what will your speech be like? What should it be like? I want to think about that for a few minutes before we move on to finish our study in this passage. Once again, let me reiterate that the Bible does not teach that a believer will never sin with his words. Understood. But only that in the general flow and movement of life, in his lifestyle, his words will indicate that he has had a transformation of heart. When his words do not reflect a redeemed heart, he'll be convicted of his sin. She'll be convicted of their sin. That's the mark of being a true believer. You're convicted. You confess your sin to God. You repent. You make changes. You don't just go, you know what, that's not right, and just leave it like that. The mark of a true believer, one mark, is that we confess our sins and we do something about it. So so that would be indicative of being really saved. In fact, one of the very first sins that most new converts become aware of in their lives is, is that their talk has to change. Things have to change in terms of, of how they speak. And that really gives great evidence of salvation, when when a new believer recognizes sin in his or her life by the way they speak and they make changes, that's that's a great indication that they have truly been converted. This has been the experience of many people, especially those who have been saved as adults. I look back on my life and I say that was certainly true. I was raised in Brooklyn, New York, not in a Christian home. Cursing, taking the Lord's name in vain was an absolute way of life. In, uh, in, in my manner of speaking. In fact, so bad was I that I was actually accused, I used to go to, uh, camp every year and I was actually accused of corrupting an entire camp with the way I spoke. But, shortly after becoming a Christian, as an 18 year old freshman at the University of South Florida, one day I, I cut my wrist on the lock of my door as I was entering my room in the men's dormitory. As soon as this happened, I, uh, I reacted as I was my custom in situations like that by letting out a string of vile curse words associated with the Lord's name. This had been really my custom for nearly 18 years of my life. This is what I was used to doing. I never felt bad about it. I never felt uh, what we would say convicted. This was a way of life. This was my habit.
1: I have stopped Pastor Steve right in the middle of his story with the hopes you will be intrigued enough to join us for the next Verse by Verse program when we will continue with our series, Words Have Meaning. We here at Verse by Verse hope that you find these messages to be a challenge to your faith walk. Perhaps you would like to be able to hear one of these messages again and meditate on it. Your solution is to surf over to versebyverseradio.org and click on the podcast link. Follow the instructions and voila! You will be signed up for the Verse by Verse podcast. You will then be able to go back to previous lessons and listen again, or finish a program when you were only able to hear part of it on the radio. And while you're at it, tell a friend about Verse by Verse and encourage them to listen as well. We're out of time for today, but please tune in next time for Verse by Verse.